0: Lord, I thank you so much for this day, and uh, Lord, I just pray that um, truly, Father, that you would just move, uh, that you would, you know, pierce uh, through the, the, the haze that can come with the morning and the weekend and our stresses and all those things that get in the way of, of you and of the, the peace that you promise us um, when we live out of who we are in you. And I just ask, God, uh, man, that you would just do what you do. Heal and restore and speak to your people. And God, I just ask um, man, I know there's people in this room that don't know you, um, that quote, don't believe, uh, Lord, but most of the time um, they don't have a good view of who you are. And so they don't want to believe and they've been hurt. And I just pray you would uh, reveal yourselves to those people specifically today. And uh, man, show your true heart and who you are to them. God, help me to preach your word and only your word that I wouldn't get in the way. And I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ, let we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the remnant. Hope you guys are having a good day. I'm not going to stop because you guys don't. If I, have, if I have to look at your faces doing that, then you can look at mine. Welcome, everyone. See, that's boring. Don't do it to me. All right. Uh, welcome to the remnant. My name's Todd. Uh, Pastor, here we just finished up our series last week, and we're going to kind of do what we know around here is a one-off. What does that mean? It's not connected to anything else, really. Um, <clears throat> who here knows who the Apostle Paul is? It's kind of a trick question. Yeah, most time, even Jack doesn't know. He just didn't want to raise his hand. Most, I got you, Jack. Most Christians, uh, you know, most even non-Christians have heard of Paul. Uh, Pretty easy why. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. And uh, he's an important figure, man. Even though he's not one of the original 12, um, we probably know more about him than any of the other apostles. And that is because the book of Acts is really almost a biography of him post-Jesus. Meaning after he met Jesus, and a little bit before. Um, It's kind of his life story. What I think is interesting is, Acts being also sort of the history of the early church, right? And how integral part Paul was, of it, was in that. And he was a huge part of it. And I personally have always liked Paul. I like to, I relate to him. Maybe it's because it makes me feel better about myself, but pretty bold, um, courageous, a bit sarcastic. Um, yeah. And real. You know, when you read through all of the the numerous books of the New Testament that Paul wrote, you see a guy who's pretty honest. You kind of see through um, in some of his responses in his letters to the churches some of the things that were happening to him. Like, for instance, he was clearly doubted all the time. He was accused all the time. He was... challenged his authority, he was told he was a liar all the time. All these things are true. We know that because he spent so much time having to say things like, I'm not lying, I'm telling the truth, right? Why would he have to do that? He's very real. And his story's interesting because not only was he one of the original 12 apostles, he was not, but he was actually the complete opposite. And I know all the Christians are like, I think I know the history of Paul top," and that's why you look like this all the time. <clears throat> um, but he hated Christians, hated them, and was very passionate about persecuting them. Being directly, I mean directly, listen to me, this isn't one of those things where he he was just, hey, that sounds good. He was directly involved in the murder and imprisonment and persecution of Christians. He sought them out. He was so passionate about it that he sought them out. He wanted to find them. <clears throat> he was um, very well-respected Uh, Jewish leader, right? He was somebody within the Jewish circles. And as we know, the Jewish religious leaders at the time were certainly not pro-Jesus because he threatened their authority, right? He threatened the religious system that they had built their identity on, that they had built their authority on. He He challenged that. Jesus did. And so, of course, they hated his followers too. So you guys may know in the book of Acts 2, we find out who the first martyr is. Well, it's a martyr. (laughs) <laughs> guys, listen, if you don't wake up, I'm serious, I'm going to quit, okay, I get, you know, th- I'll be here next week regardless, so wake it up, okay, slap yourself, if- there you go, thank you, Christy, you're ahead of the game, yeah, slap yourself, wake up, all right, focus, help me out here, <clears throat> anyway, Stephen, Stephen's the first martyr, and what is a martyr? That's better, see, do you feel the energy difference? That's nice, uh, yeah, so Stephen, it's someone who dies for the faith, Dies for the faith we don't talk a lot about that in America we talk about it but it's like yeah those great martyrs over in other countries that'll never come here you know it's easy to be a Christian here it is in some ways right you're not you typically aren't going to be thrown in jail or killed because you follow Jesus in America you take that for granted and it's kind of scary this is a side note how many of us would still stand for Jesus if threatened with those possibilities you should be asking yourself that. And here's where it really gets deep. <clears throat> Some of you think you would, but you can't even stand up to the religious leaders in America for the truth of the gospel. You'd rather go with the crowd than stand against it. And let me make this very clear to you. I've said this many times. Jesus is never with the crowd. Jesus is never with the crowd. He's not. Well, Todd, 67% of Americans are Christians. That's the crowd. No. They claim that, right? That means they've heard the name probably. Anyway, so we get Stephen who's there and he kind of preaches sort of this, the second sort of sermon, right? We get Peter gives the first sermon at Pentecost and then Stephen sort of gives this this message in front of all the Jewish leaders and uh, they drag him out and stone him, right? That means they kill him with rocks. And it says an interesting thing at the end. You get this character that just sort of pops up. And it says, and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of Saul. Saul's Paul. They had two different names, right, Krista? Long story, same person. Why did they do that? Well, he was clearly a very important figure, right? He's a very important figure in their religion. So here we have, this is, who, this is who Saul, this is who Paul is. He's the guy that's watching, probably cheering on the death of an innocent man. Acts 8, 1 through 3 tells us this, to just let you know who he was. Is this going to be it? There we go, guys. Saul agreed with putting him to death. Then it goes and tells us specifically. The witness put his feet in. He's going, yeah, this was a good idea, Right? On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. It means they were hunting them down, so they all had to scatter. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. This guy, you know, we... Let me give you an analogy to kind of help you understand how bad this guy was. You know who else did that? When you think of people that go into people's houses in history and drag them out and do bad things to them, what do you think of? Yeah, Nazi, Hitler, right? Nazis. Go and find these people and and throw them in jail and kill them. Doesn't stop there. (coughs) I'm sorry, not Philippians. I'm silly. Uh, Acts 9, 1 and 2. It tells us, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder. (laughs) Against, breathing threats and murder. Man, that was just the air he breathed. Threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way. I like that, by the way. Jesus, right? He might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He didn't just stay in Jerusalem. He started going out. I'm going to go to every city. I'm done. I've kind of weeded out the ones here, I found as many as I can, I'm going to go to these other cities and grab them and kill them. He was, he was a bad guy. You wouldn't like him. And then the crazy thing happens, right? On his way, Jesus, the risen Jesus, King Jesus, makes his appearance into Saul's life, right? A light as Saul's traveling. Paul is traveling with a bunch of people. We know that because what happens next? A light appears, blinds him, and Jesus himself says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, the Jesus whom you're persecuting. And it says that the people around him heard the voice. Imagine that. We ignore that. Those people heard the voice. Didn't see what he saw but heard the voice. So you know the story. He goes in to the city and and. God tells him, Jesus tells him, hey, you need to go in this city and pray and find this guy. And then he appears, Jesus goes to this other believer named Ananias and says, hey, I need you to go find Paul. He's blind. He knows you're coming. I want you to go pray for him, and I'm going to heal his eyesight. And this will tell you more about who Paul is. Ananias, this random guy, goes, I'm sorry, who? Paul, that guy kills people, right? He's going to kill me. This is a bad person. And then we actually... You know, Jesus says, go. It's not friendly. Like, we always think Jesus is like, go. No, he's like, go and do what I told you to do. I'm going to show him how much he will suffer for my name. That's what it says. It's Interesting. Right? It's not a thread. It's just the reality. Meaning, I'm going to sh- show him how much he's going to come to love me, right? That he'll suffer. And so Paul takes all that passion and zeal, he gets healed of his personality, and immediately begins flipping it and using it to preach Jesus. Think about that, right? I come into your house, I kill your husband, your wife, your friend, and then I show up the next day, and I'm like, hi, Jesus loves you. You are gonna welcome me in? Huh, you gonna like me? Probably not. He was a gifted preacher. We know that because people began to He was making an impact. He was turning people to the Lord, plus his story. What is this murderer that hated Christians? And all of a sudden, he's speaking for Jesus. And he was very, very effective at arguing with the Jewish leadership, right, about the nature of God and faith and all these things. Why? Because he knew the religion inside and out. He knew it inside and out. And so they hated him for this, right? Right? In fact, let's in Acts 9, 23 and 24, it tells us this. This is all happening in two chapters, right? It says, after many days had passed, the Jewish leaders, that's when it says the Jews, conspired to kill him. But their plot became notice, known to Saul, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. Think, let that sink in. So here he is killing Christians, right? He's, he's murdering them, he's killing them, he's imprisoning them. Do Christians like him? No, they don't like him. I just told you, right? This all happens like this. Then all of a sudden, he begins to preach to the Christians. Do they immediately accept him? No, not everyone does. How do we know? We know that through the letters he sends, right? People still question him years later. You're the guy, I remember what you did. You're the guy that killed my uncle, right? Then it becomes more real. You're the one that killed my son. You're the one that imprisoned my wife, on and on and on, right? Now all of a sudden, though, he's, he's hated by them, and now the Jewish leaders hate him. The people with which he once had honor and prestige, right? He had a good name and reputation. Now they hate him so much that they want to kill him. So I want you to think for a second. now. Let's take a second. And this is what I always tell you, if you're new to The Remnant, you'll hear this a lot. Take your Christian earmuffs off. Take the part of you that knows the stories, right? This is why you get bored in church, by the way, because you approach it like it's the same thing every time. Take it off, put it to the side, and listen like it's the first time, and let's look at this person. Let's look at Paul not as a biblical character and not as a mythological figure, but as an actual living, breathing human. He was, right? George Washington, living, breathing human. Someone told you he was alive, so you believe it, Right? You've never met him, you've never seen his bones, okay, but you believe it? Paul is a real person. This is a historical document. Let's look at it that way and let's think about it that way. He wasn't just a mythological figure. Have you considered for a second when you read your Bible how much Paul lost? Oh, he's so great. I would do that too. It'd be so great to be with Paul and see the miracles, would it? How much did he lose? how hated and hurt he not only probably was, we know he was by both sides. At least early on. Christians knew he was Saul the persecutor, Saul the avenger, murderer of the faith, while the Jewish leaders of which he was once well respected viewed him as a traitor and a blasphemer who had turned from the truth. He once held honor and power within his community. He was well respected and now he had neither. In fact, Philippians 3 4 through 7 tells us something. It tells him how much he had and it tells us a crazy fact here. That even when he lost it, he says, Although I once had confidence in the flesh, right? If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, a Pharisee. Remember the Pharisees were important people. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Meaning, viewing the law, the tradition, what we had created, it was perfect. And then verse 7, right here. But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. So I want to think about that for a couple of reasons. reasons. I wonder sometimes, again, we're always like, man, he just had a halo on his head and he floated around. As he's saying this, he has a purpose, right? He's saying, listen, those of you Jewish people in the church, those of you that think you're better than me, listen, I was the cream of the crop, the best of the best. You can't beat my resume. You can't beat it. Do you think as he was saying that, that there, you don't think as a human there wasn't a part of him? that was thinking, man, I had it good. That as you're saying that, right? Have you ever thought of that when you think of your old life and you say it, your testimony, right? Parts of you that you know weren't perfect and good, but there's a certain pride in it because you you succeeded, right? Do you get what I'm saying? You kind of brag. Like, on the one hand, you're confessing. On the other hand, you, there's this part of you that's proud of it, right? I had achieved something. Why wouldn't he be the same way? But then he ends it with, this incredible thought. Now remember, if this is a real person, everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. Meaning, I was willing to lose it because I've gained more. What has he gained? Well, he's hated by both sides. He's chased, trying to be murdered, questioned constantly by Christians. Hey, you're not really an apostle. You don't really have any authority. On and on and on. Paul had every reason to be upset, depressed, and insecure. Yes or no? Yes, yeah, I'm going to throw a podium. He lost everything that was his identity. Think about that. In fact, at times, even in the epistles, and I told you this earlier, he's constantly having to respond to lies being spoken about him and the doubts that the churches he planted had in him. As soon as he left, they're going, you know that Paul guy, is he a real deal? Is he really, Is he really seeing Jesus? I mean, he's a terrible speaker. Did you know that? We get that. He wasn't a great speaker. He wasn't a physically imposing person, probably not very charismatic. You seen that guy? He's ugly. I don't know if that's the case, but you get it, right? He is constantly having to prove himself over and over and over again. And yet, based on just that verse we know, and his confidence to continue to speak, he didn't live out of his insecurity. He didn't live out of his insecurity. You don't think Paul's insecure? Yeah, he was. Do confident, perfectly confident, secure people have to go, I am not lying? No. He was human. It's not the fact that he had insecurity that made him great. It's that he didn't live out of it. He didn't live in it. Insecurity. Yeah. How would you do? I'm too young. No, you... You teens in the back and the front mixed around. Uh, the old people are like, I'm so glad I'm past that. I'm consu- I can be an old person, so I can say that, right? I'm never insecure. That's what you sound like when you say that, by the way. Or think it, because you'd never say it because that's not humble. Mmm, gotcha. You just think it. How would you do? How would you do if you lost the thing that gives you so much confidence? Right now, some of you, all of us have something we put confidence in. That's a fact. Is it your money? Your status, your relationship, your good reputation, your knowledge, your skill in your trade, um, your relationship. It could be anything. Your marriage. I'm secure because I have this. Your car, your house, your health. If you lost it, would you be so confident for Jesus in that? It's a trick question. I'm gonna say this. I'm just gonna, offend my own people. I know you and you don't. I know you and you don't. You know why? Because if I come, for instance, some of you and say, hey, could you do this? You know what I get immediately? Defensiveness. Bah, 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 bah. This is why it happened. Ba bah, 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 bah. You know what that means? You're so insecure. You can't even be reminded of something you may have forgotten because it means you're not good enough. So what are you basing your value on? Your effort, your perfectionism? Hey, 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 how was the food? It was really good. It could use a little salt. Maybe a meal ministry, right? I, I would never say that. I hate salt. But, you know, they ask you, give me, uh, I guess I'm garbage. I'll just throw this away. Really? Worship team? Oh, man, that was a great song. How'd it sound? Really good. I heard that one. Who did it? Whose fault was it? It was kind of awkward. Well, the singers say, no, it was you. You played a bad note. And the people that played the bad notes, well, the singers did this. And why is that? Hey, do you think about this? Yes, I did, but you didn't. You have an excuse for everything you do. That's insecurity. You're the tough guy in the room, right? Nobody can come and tell you anything because you got it in. You're, you're scary. No, you're not. You're insecure. I see right through you. In fact, I can't stand those people. I'm going to be real with you. You know I was talking to a friend of mine it's like the people who all the time you got to tell me how many times how many times you've been in a fight. Listen, let me tell you something. If you have to tell me how many times you've been in a fight, you ain't been in a fight. If you got to tell me how bad you are. You're not bad because it's not fun to fight. But some of you walk around like you're tough, right? I sound angry because I don't like those kinds of people. Listen, we all do it. We all have something. Insecurity is one of the biggest hindrances to the Christian journey and one of the biggest saboteurs. That means something that sabotages our ministry and the advancement of the kingdom. I'm serious. I have seen, uh, everyone knows that I, uh, I'd actually thought of this message before I left for my little mini sabbatical when I was in my grump stage, Right? And part of that was I started thinking I would get so frustrated because I would come up in my job, right? Like beyond preaching, you know, I, I believe, despite what some of you believe, I don't just crawl in a hole after Sunday and don't do anything else until the next Sunday. People think that, right? Here's your cracker. Get in your hole. Yeah, right? I'll come out on, come out on Sunday. Yeah. that's people. You think I'm kidding. People think that. I'm like, go get the old mule. It's Sunday. It's plow time. Hitch him back up. I do things, so part of what I do, you know, the Lord, I'm a, I'm a leader, in it, I guess, and what that means is, what I've learned is I have an ability, but through God's grace, when I'm in the right place, to see the bigger picture. And so I come up, and because I've been entrusted by a lot of you incredible people to do this, and by God, I go around, and I might, I might say to someone, hey, can you make sure to do this next time we just forgot? Oh my gosh, Boom. Every time I can never get anything done because I'm. It takes 45 minutes to just say, "Hey, could you put paper in the printer next time?" Well, I mean, if if the the paper, I didn't do it, and the paper was there, and and you and you didn't push on last time. I'm like, oh my! I mean, literally, that's part of what led me to where I was. I had this written in my notes the beginning of this three months ago because it was so exhausting to constantly butt up against everyone's insecurity. That's why I said I'm going to offend the remnant folk because clearly you guessed. It wasn't you. And you know who you are because you probably did it. I can't encourage you. I can't uh, lead you. I can't, okay, Todd, help me. And then when I help, it's a big argument. It's like, why did you ask? Why did that happen? You may not like to hear this, but you're insecure people. You're insecure people. If you're in this room and no one wants to admit, you know what I've learned about know-it-alls? They never admit they're know-it-alls. That's the only thing they don't know. Right? Are you a know-it-all? You're the person that can't be taught? You're the person that knows everything? You guess what? You're insecure. It doesn't matter how many layers of knowledge you've put on top of it, at the end of the day it's insecurity. Because your identity is based on how, how little you need help from other people. You Get what I'm saying? The guys are like, yeah, the women are like that. Please, dudes. I can't even come out there and say, hey, the, the air is low in your tire. I think I know how to deal with tires. I built tires back in 1945, right, or whatever it is. I was like, I don't care what you did. I was just telling you the air's out of your tire, right? That's how it is. That's what we do. Oh, it's so funny. Even the guys in this church, right, some of you all know. Instead of going and asking, I say this all the time to my team. You got to, you know, if you're a leader, I always say this. You got to be smart enough to know you're dumb. There's people in this room that know things about cars. Yes, as a man, I could let that hit me that I don't know a ton about cars, right? I know the basics. See, why'd I tell you that? Because I'm insecure. Anyway, (laughs) but there's people out here, none of y'all know about cars, and you'll go out there and jack your car up because you didn't want to go to someone and say, hey, I don't know what to do. Could you help me? And it, it, it hinders the journey. It hinders the kingdom. Because guess what we're spending time? We're constantly spending time propping each other up. Notice I didn't say building each other up. Propping each other up. We have to prop each other up. And the church is no longer on the foundation of Christ, but it's on the foundation of how we make each other feel. You would not believe how often I see it. And I'm not talking, I mean, see, you thought I was going to talk about the insecurity about where I got to tell you you're good enough. And you are. And that is a version of insecurity, right? But there's another version of insecurity that masquerades as arrogance. It masquerades, right, as know-it-all. It masquerades as perfectionism. It masquerades as all of these things. And it's just as ugly. In fact, I think it's worse. And people are like, oh, good, I just hate myself. No, you're still selfish. I'm sorry, but you are. Because I'm going to tell you something. Here's my shock value. It was what was going to be the name. I thought I was so original and going to offend so many people. Because when I offend, they'll at least watch angrily. That's what I've noticed, right? And then maybe God will do something. I was like, it's called the sin of insecurity. But then I realized some other guy did that. I literally was mad, right? Some guy for the Gospel Coalition, how dare him, come up with the same title I had. Insecure. Anyway, it is a sin. Did you know that? When you live out of insecurity... You are sinning. Oh, now that's going to hit your insecurity even more because you're like, well, now I'm even worse because I can't even be insecure. We'll talk about it. Here's the thing. Every single person in this room experiences and has experienced insecurity. That's why I put these parentheses around it. It's not a matter of whether you ever feel insecure. It's whether you live in insecurity. What is insecurity? Well, you know I'm a definition guy. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm sorry. Insecurity is what? A state or feeling of anxiety, fear, or self-doubt. Do not fear. Have no fear. Some of you are like, I'm not fearful. Yeah, you are. Where do you put your money? I'm not even talking about the church, right? Everybody got mad because I've talked about money. I never talk about money. First time I do, people get mad. You know why? You're insecure. I'm afraid. I've got to hoard it up. Jesus even talks about that. Tells the story of the man who says, I'll just build up bigger storehouses and put all my things in there and I'll be safe. And he says, you foolish man, I'm going to take, your life will be gone that night. Insecurity shows itself in a lot of ways. What else is it? A of anxiety, fear, self-doubt. Not highly stable or well-adjusted and not confident or sure. In order to be insecure, listen to me. I know you're falling asleep, but listen to me right now. This is important. Take this away. In order to be insecure, that means you have clearly put your hope and identity in something unstable, right? It just said that, not stable. But here's the thing. We know God is stable. So if it means you're putting your faith in something unstable, you ready? A plus B equals this. It means what? You are not putting your faith and your trust in God. You're not. I'm not. And that, listen, life is a constant journey of that. Right? The Bible tells us we go in and out, don't we? Because we're flawed and God's still working on us. And we're in and out of, you know, living in, out of the, the confidence we have in him and, and trusting him and then feeling shaky, right? And then trusting him and then feeling shaky. I'm not saying that if you're feeling that, that there's something wrong. What I am saying is how long do you stay in the shaky period? Well, once I feel safe and stable, then I'll be secure again. And there's the problem. Many, many people, many Christians, including me in this room, even if you wouldn't say this intellectually, your faith is entirely driven by how you feel. That's not faith. If someone feels loving, they're going to be loving, right? That's nothing. Right? Jesus says that. He says, listen, you, you love your friends, great. Even evil people love their friends. I'm telling you to love your enemies, It's the same concept, right? When you're feeling stable, of course you're going to be stable, but what are you going to do when it feels shaky? God and the Bible, right, his word tells us that we have the ability to be secure when we don't feel secure. So how does insecurity affect our faith, our ministries, even our families? And are you willing to accept that living in insecurity is a sin? Are you even willing to admit you're insecure? Now, I'm not saying, again, there is a side of this that, man, like, God is patient with our insecurities, isn't he? He reminds us. How do we know? How many times in the Bible does he say, do not be afraid? You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. He's, he knows we're going to feel that. But insecurity also gives us a sense of control. If I know things aren't stable, then I'm not surprised. I live. I get that. That's, remember I told you a few weeks ago, if you've come, that's why I'm a pessimist, right? If I expect the bad, it doesn't surprise me well, that's pretty messed up, right? Plus, it still surprises me. That's just a joke. Then I'm just sad or mad twice, once before and once when it's happening. How does it affect our ministries, even our families? We feel it. We all feel it, but living out of it is something that we have control over. Do you accept that? Before we even go, are you willing to open, open your mind to the idea that the insecurity you feel, though you feel it, that it's possible to not live out of it? Same way I give you guys a hard time about not falling asleep and stuff. People that watch, by the way, I guarantee you people that we didn't used to take this, they're like, they think you guys are literally all asleep right now. By the way, I talk. right? And it's like, that poor guy is talking to a sleeping room. Um, it does feel that way, but no, so if one or two of you are awake. <clears throat> and that's so crazy, right? Because I bet you right now, hey, let's put some, I don't know, uh, what's the big YouTube, right? The mind of Dahmer. I know you all watched it. Right, you'd be awake during that. Don't act like you didn't watch it on Netflix. I'm not gonna make you raise your hand. It was number one in the nation for a reason. You watched all about that sicko, didn't you? Yeah, you did. But you can't stay awake for this. Boom, got you. Burn. Insecure. All right, I'm insecure. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I'm attacking you. All right, all right. So we said as insecurity. Listen, insecurity at its core. And I'm not giving you a list today, so you're gonna have to listen to make your own list. I've decided it's too easy for you. All right. Insecurity at its core. Listen, insecurity at its core is the feeling of not having value. It is. Of not, of not having worth. It's living out of the idea that we are not good enough. So I went to a counselor. I told some of my story last week. What do you mean, Todd? You gotta have to listen to last week's. It's up. You can listen to it at the very beginning. And I told about during that time, I didn't mention this part. When I was all depressed and all that, I went to see a counselor. First time in my life, I'd went to see a counselor. Blanton's, Greer's, that's the other side of me. We don't need counselor, right? We suck it up and we move on. I, I didn't like it, okay? I still am like, how does talking to another human being help me, right? Because I go in there, I'm like, you ain't fooling me. And I am, right? I'm like, you're not fooling me. And then I'm crying by the end. <clears throat> but I went to a counselor, and it was interesting because <laughs> this is so weird. But I remember it. One of the things that she did was she had me, she's like, how do you feel? And I distinctly remember this, on and on and on. And I didn't even, it's, I, don't feel, I don't feel good enough. So I, she had me do this thing where I had to like tap my head and say, not good enough, not good enough. I don't remember why. Somehow you look it up, it has to do with remembering, I don't know. But my point is, even back then, she told me that the root of most depression is the idea that we are not good enough but here's the crazy thing most of the time we don't even know what that good enough thing is for we, we can't even tell it exactly right you know I at the time had lost my girlfriend so I could have said I don't feel good enough for my girlfriend but I knew that wasn't it that was more than that it was who I was was not enough and when I was faced with that I couldn't I didn't want to live It's the living of the idea that we're not good enough. It's an indication that somewhere along the way, and this is important, we, you, have put our value in what we have, how we're seen, our possessions, the things of this world, more than we have God. You have to accept that. Because how do we know that? Well, God has already said, do not be afraid. Do not be anxious about anything, right? Fear not, I am the Lord your God, I'm with you wherever you are. All of these things. So what does that say? What are we actually saying to him? I don't think you really have me. I don't think I'm worth dying on the cross for. Even that statement, even though it seems humble and you feel it, is so arrogant because you are telling Christ right, what your value, what your worth is when he already died for it. It may be hard to hear that you're putting your value, your identity, um, your thing in possessions or reputation or all these things, but it's the truth. It may be tough to hear that you're doing that more than God, but it's the truth. Even the fact that some of you right now are slightly angry and you don't know why proves you're insecure because I'm poking something you don't want to face. Paul tells us the truth, though, before we get into insecurity of how secure we should be. Okay, so I want to I talk about that for a second before I dive into insecurity and we'll, we'll really get into it. So bear with me. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. It'll be on the screen. If you're getting it in your Bible, when you got it, say, I got it. You got it? Okay. Right. This is Paul talking to the church in the Galatia. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. Interesting. Okay. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. Right? We've talked about That's what it means. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When we think of heirs, what are we typically talking about? Boy, I'm telling you, I'm literally giving up. What, right? What does heir have to do with? It? Are we talking about peasants when we talk about an heir? What are we talking about? Royalty, yeah, right. We're talking about like a prince or a prince, the son or daughter of someone of power and importance, heir to the fortune, heir to the throne. All that's how we use heir, and that's what they say here. Let this sink in before we go on. You're going to go, this is nice symbolism. It's not symbolism. He told us that. You, in Christ, are viewed as a child of God. He is just as much your father, right, if you have kids, as you are of your children, more so. That is who you are. You're an heir. You are viewed that way. But here's the fact. You don't believe that. I don't believe that. Because if we believed that, would we ever be insecure? If you lived out of that, held on to it, would you be insecure? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't because you know who your father is. And I have to say that, you're like, I know this, Todd, but it's important in the context of security. How secure would you be? Would you have to be running from body to body, girl to girl, guy to guy, to feel good about yourself if you actually thought you were of value? No, you wouldn't. Because that's what you're really chasing. You're chasing someone or something to tell you you're good enough. When God's already told you you are. All over and over, all the way to the cross, he said you're worth it. Being a son or daughter of God in and of itself lends itself to feeling pretty secure in who we are, right? And our value. Would you say to Christ to be standing here, hi, you're the son of God and you're a piece of trash? I would hope not. Those in, Right? But that's what you're saying when you live out of that to yourself, when you you look in the mirror, when you live out of that insecurity, when you tie it to something that you've done. That's important to know. That's how secure. I mean, I I could give you verse after verse, but I like it because it said, listen, at one time you were slaves to the world to all these things, to money, to relationships, to sex, to addictions, that everything about you was tied to what the world says your value is. But now, through Christ, your value is secure and set. You are an heir, a son or daughter of the Most High King. That's who you are now. That's important. In the same chapter, I mean the same book, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we see what it is and what comes from, listen, what comes from living out of an identity or finding security in anything but Christ. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, that's chaos, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, Right, that's arguing, that's people falling apart, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance. I told you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People that live with, they choose to put their identity, their faith in the things of this world are not only going to end up living out of this stuff, that's what is going to characterize your life, but also people that choose to live that way have not put their, their faith in the king, and so they're not going to be in the kingdom. You see, because the only people allowed in the kingdom are the sons and daughters of the king. Before we go on, this is important. When he says practice, such that means people that live in it, Right? who who embrace it, because everyone at times can struggle with these things. So it's not what it's saying, oh my gosh, if I've done this, I'm going to hell tomorrow. No. But it's that serious that we choose to put our faith in things that send people to hell when we're saved. So what is the flesh? Well, I just told you. Really, the flesh... We look at this a lot of times as sin and not sin, and that's true, right? Hey, we sin when we live out of the flesh, but we kind of skip and we go, the flesh is the old us. That's true, but it's more than that because what does he say? He says the works of the flesh are obvious. The flesh is the system of this world. It's not just who we are. It's the system of this world. You understand? It's, it's the things of the world, the things of the world that uh, the things of the world puts value in. It's the things we see, taste, touch, the economy of value of the world. The economy of value that the world sets for people. We all do it. If you're rich, you have more value than poor people, right? That's, that, that's what the world would tell you. A billionaire is more important, right? Jeff Bezos is more important than the person working on his factory floor shipping things. That's what the world would say. And you all would go, no, that's not true. Yes, it is. That's how we view it in the world. That's why you all want advancements in your jobs. That's why you want to be the boss. Because then you're more important. That's it. You really want to become a millionaire so you can take care of your needs? You know you don't need that much to have your needs. Being a millionaire brings value. It's what the world bases the importance of all of us on. It's not just that sinful part of us. It's that part of us that sets its entire identity and purpose on the economy of this world. That's what's so crazy, right? Rich people have more value than poor people. And Jesus comes and says, right? The first will be last and the last will be first. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, right? He flips everything, the kingdom of God. And it's not because that means you got to be a wimp to be in the kingdom. What he's saying is, is everything about this world, right, is the antithesis of the kingdom. Here it's all about self. What does God say in the kingdom? It's about God and other people, right? Here it's about self-love, and before you say it isn't, everything we consume on social media and books is all about self-love, self-esteem, self-self-self, even in the Christian culture. And I'm all about knowing who you are in Christ, but man, at a certain point, we're just justifying putting faith in the words of people. There are good Christian books out there, right? That tell us and teach us in a different way to put our faith in Christ. And some are saying, here's the 12 ways to feel better about yourself. They slap Jesus on it, but it has nothing to do with him. It's about knowing my worth, girl, right? All of that stuff. When we live out of that economy, when we put our security and our faith on those things, think of it a little differently. When I do that, this is what's going to characterize my life. Sexual morality, moral impurity, so- hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish, selfish ambitions, dissension, factions. It pulls us apart. That Does that sound like the world? No. Then you're not ever paying attention. Yes. Here's a small f- What happens during voting season? I mean, right there you go. During voting season. I'm not immune to it. Right? That pulls us apart. There's good Christians in this world that have put that and they think that people of this party have no value. I think their ideas don't, but I'm not going to tell you which side, but they do, right? We are torn apart. We live a chaotic life. It's like building a house on an earthquake that's constantly going. It's shaking all the time. Sometimes it's only like a, I don't know, one Richter scale, right? And sometimes it's a 10. Life Putting your faith and security in the values of this world is just a time bomb. You're just waiting till the moment when it finally tears you down, and you've got to rebuild it. Jesus tells us that, doesn't he? He said those who, I'm going to paraphrase, those who put their faith in the world is like someone who builds their house on sand. It's all good until the high waters come in the wind, and then it crashes. The one who puts his faith in me is the one who is the wise builder whose foundation is set on a rock. The sandcastle of the world might be bigger and prettier and fancier and have some jewels in it, and your little squat little cabin, right, may look uglier to the world's eyes, but at the end of the day, when times come and troubles come, only one's going to be left standing. Use the same analogy for your own security, who you are. Galatians 5, farther down, most of you already know this. It's a big section. We've went over it many times. I don't know if we've actually preached on it. have certainly talked about it in our small groups and stuff, in our staff meetings. But Galatians 5, 22, says, but it's a contrast, right? Here we got the world, what happens, sin, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, meaning you don't need a law. There's nothing bad about those things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, killed it. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. And here, this is so, so important. We skip this verse a lot. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What's another word for conceit? Right? Self-focus, self-obsession, self-importance. Right? The ranking system. Humans by nature, we do that. We create a ranking system. Who's the best? What's the discussion in sports? Who's the goat, right? Who's the best? Who's the best? Who has the most? Which church is the best? Which place is the best? Which country is the best? Who has the best clothes? All of these things. Whether we admit it or not, it's conceit. Because it's a focus on myself. So the fruit of the Spirit, let's look at it a different way. If I told you that the works of the flesh... Yes, it's sin. Yes, it's the product that comes from not knowing Christ and not having the Holy Spirit. But it's also what it is to live in the economy of this world, right? To put our value in worldly things. So then the fruit of the Spirit is when, let's use a little different terminology, but it's the same thing. The fruit of living securely in Christ The fruit of having the Holy Spirit, the fruit of being in the kingdom, the fruit of being alive and held by God and living and putting your focus on what he values is important is all of these things. Love, joy, peace. This is what will naturally occur when you're living with your foundation secure. Make sense? I'm excited. Why aren't you? All right? I'm sweating. Okay? Luke, you sweat too, man. (laughs) He's like, I do, yeah. The fruit of the Spirit is what comes when we live out of who we are in Christ. What God values, this is so important. What God puts value in, His economy, His important scale, right? Is shown in the fruit. Love is first. God says, Love, right? This is what I value. You know, in the Old Testament, he says, God does not look at the outward appearance of man, but in the heart. That's flip too, isn't it? We don't walk up and go, man, that girl got a nice heart. Right? We don't do that. Man, look at his big, bulging heart. We don't look at, we don't say that, right? We don't think of that. I meant muscles. Get your mind out of the gutter here. All right? Well, God values is shown in that fruit. So the importance of a value of a person as a Christian, the importance and value Your value isn't found in all of those other things, but it's found in kingdom values that those are choosing to live like the king are the ones he looks at. And listen, even though this world, right, even though this world might tell us that our value is nothing because we're living in this economy, it's like being princes and princesses, right, who have been thrown into another world. We know that our dad's coming, but right now they're like, look, what a joke, are we going to adapt and conform to what they say is important? Are we willing to put our identity and our security, who we are, on him, even when the world says that's not valuable? And here's something incredible. Even when church culture might say it's not. You know, the church is made up at its, at its best of broken, flawed people, right? We're a bunch of people that get insecure. We hurt each other. If we didn't, Paul wouldn't be telling them, hey, quit Biting each other, lest you consume each other. That's what he warns them. Boy, doesn't that sound like us today in the modern church in America? Yeah. You know, I'll never hear from another pastor to tell me something good, but boy, they'll reach out if they have a concern, right? That's because of the economy has infiltrated the kingdom, right? We, we've, we've allowed that. So I want to talk about specifically, I want to leave you with, if you're going to make a list, I want to be very specific with you. So, Todd, this is about insecurity. What are you talking about? When you live out of an insecurity, remember I told you it's a sin because one God said, all your identity and all that, but it's also a sin because it crushes and chokes out the fruit of the kingdom. When you're insecure, you're choking out of the fruit of the kingdom specifically. It causes you to to destroy love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. When you're insecure, it destroys those things in your life. It does. It does. How so? Well, let's go through it. Number one, love. How does insecurity affect love? Well, if I am overwhelmingly focused on myself and my value, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as you. I've got to make myself better than you. I've got to have more than you, right? What is that sense? I, 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 me, me, me. If I'm focused and insecure, I'm, if I'm insecure, I'm focused on myself, which doesn't leave a lot of room to love other people, or to even love God, right? There's not a lot of room for any of that. Not only that, but we, you know, insecurity leads to envy and jealousy, yes it does. When you're insecure, you know, insecure people tend to people be the people that tear down other people the most. They do, they look confident because they're pointing out everyone else's flaws, but that's because they have to remind themselves, right? Because deep down, they believe they're down here. Envy and jealousy make it very difficult to love someone else. If I want what they have, I might take what they have. No matter if it's good for them or not. No matter if they love them, right? You get what I'm saying? It's something they love. When you're insecure, you're not able to love other people. When you're living out of your insecurity, when you're in it, you're not loving other people. Well, yeah, yeah, I love my husband and wife. No, you don't. You love what your husband and wife can give you. You love how well they can prop you up, and the moment they don't, they're bad. They're bad. Isn't that funny? No, it's because you believe you are. How dare they not keep you propped up? Number two, joy. This is easy. Insecure people tend to be very depressed people. When you're living out of your insecurity, living out of it, right? You're depressed. We're focused on what we don't have, If I just had more money, I'd have it all together. If I just had, in my case, remember when I was 19, if I had that girl back, everything would be better. Everything was focused on what I don't have, which is clearly going to not lead to joy. Joy comes from looking around and seeing how blessed we really are. And that's the challenge right now for our Lionheart men's group, right? It's every day, thinking twice a day, giving what you're grateful for. I bet you, you guys, if you're honest, sometimes you're sitting there not knowing what to type. You know why that is? You have so many. Dude, I have pants on. I should, I'm thankful for pants, right? I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but I'm thankful for pants. There's a million things we take for granted, but if I focus on the fact that I don't have, I don't know, Gucci pants, and it's like, this is garbage, right? I don't know if that's cool, man. I'm just telling you. Clearly, I don't put my value on how I dress, <clears throat> Depression, what we have, and it doesn't mean that those things are bad in and of themselves. It's when you put your security and your identity in them. By the way, you can even do that to your marriage because the, the Christian church as a whole, they'll allow you to idolize your marriage because it's godly. You can idolize your family because it's godly. No, it's not. You're putting a weight on them that's not theirs to bear. They're not there to prop up your value, they're there to be served and loved. Right. So clearly, when we live out of insecurity, when you're your most insecure, are you joyful? No, I can. Some of you, I come up and go, how are you feeling today? You start crying immediately. Right. Because you're so sad because you're living in like these lies. Right. Of who you are and your value. And well, why do you feel that way? Because so and so did this or doesn't do that. And that that hurts. Of course, you can hurt. You can't control that feeling. But what are you going to choose to live out of? I struggle with this. I think that's why I'm not joyful. I'm a, weird, I'm a weird conundrum, you know, if this helps you. So I don't really care about what people think in day-to-day life. I don't. But when it comes to the kingdom and the church and all those things, because somehow, like, it affects you is what I tell myself. Like, what people say ends up becoming an obsession, right? I want to go fight it. But if I have to fight it that hard, then I'm living out of the insecurity of it, aren't I? A lion doesn't have to go around and try to talk people into the fact it's a lion. It just got to do what lions do, right? Depression, peace. Well, you're not going to have peace if you put yourself in that place. I know, guys, you don't get insecure. Yes, you do. I said it loud to wake you up. All right. When you're insecure, you feel shaky. You live out of fear. I know it. Let's take relationships. Your marriage, if your husband or wife is upset at you, do you fall apart? Do you fall apart? If so, that's a clue. Because everything becomes shaky. Well, if they're not with me, it's, I mean, it's going to affect you, right? But your whole worldview shouldn't be shaken. Your whole value in who you are shouldn't fall apart. That's too much weight for a human to bear. So it, it, it chokes out our peace because we live in the what ifs too. What if I never get it back? What if I don't get that job opportunity, right? What if, what if, what if? Patience. I see this all the time. I shared it earlier. You know, when you're anxious, I mean, when you're living out of insecurity, everything has to go right in the area that you're putting your security in. And if it doesn't, what's going on, right? If they would just listen to me, if my boss would appreciate me, if I, if, 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 you know, all of these things, we gotta go, we gotta go. It's anxiety, it's snapping. You can't stand or bear to hear a way that you can improve. I don't even want to call it criticism. You can't even be told how to improve. If Michael Jordan came here today and taught and said, this is how you you shoot a free throw, I'm going to listen. Some of you in this room, and I promise you, you're going to say, you would argue with him. You'd be like, I don't need to know how to shoot a free throw, Michael. That tells you how insecure you are. You can't even be told by someone. You can't fathom someone being better or at least admit it. Because it'll make you fall apart. That's how you know someone. They look confident, but they're not. Because they a confident person Right? is smart enough to understand and live out of the fact, listen, I don't know everything. Kindness, well, it's easy. When we're insecure, we have a tendency to attack. You have a tendency to attack someone, attack an idea, attack a thought, attack a person. You live, you're angry. It's like, you know, I, I guess I could say there's some ministries that I've come in, and again, I do this myself, but I've come in before and just challenged a ministry. Hey, what if we do this? Or, you know, we're all humans. That's part of my job. And I've been attacked for it. Literally, in our own church, attacked because you couldn't stand to hear that maybe it's not as perfect as you want to believe it is. And if it's not perfect, then what does that say about me? Insecurity. You can't be kind and live out of insecurity. You just can't. Well, yeah, sure, Todd, I talk really quietly and I hide. Yeah, but that's not kindness. Insecure people aren't kind enough to get up and help someone that fell on the ground. Do Insec- You ever notice? I'm serious. You want to see how secure it is? Watch, watch some, an elderly person fall to the ground. This happened at Walmart to me. This is over. I completely forgot about this till just now. This was this summer. So I pull up at the stop sign here in town. Right there's two or three stop signs at the Walmart. Very annoying. Uh, But I stop and I see it. There's this. At first I was irritated. I'm gonna be honest. I was impatient. And I see this elderly, this lady get out and she helps this guy out. This elderly guy with a, uh, he didn't have a carrier actually, and I think he had a cane. And he was touching the car. And I'm telling you, he was shaking. And I knew it. I could just tell. And she went back in, and he's doing this, and I watch, I watch, and just false. Directly on a. Con- I'm talking just as hard as, poof, there's no hands up because he was trying to grab. And it's interesting looking back because I focused on that day, the positives. I jumped out, right? This is my chance to, to feel okay. I jumped out. I just thought of that. That's my personality. But there were people that just walked by. Just walked by you know and eventually three people me and two other people came up and helped this guy up and walked him in is it because they didn't care no they're too insecure well what if i don't do it right what if i hurt him what if you know i look silly what if i what if i don't do it right that's the reason i don't believe they were all evil and caring people they're just too insecure to even bend down and help someone because what if i do it wrong can't be kind goodness well listen when you're insecure you tend to be harsh Inconsiderate, because you're only thinking about yourself. And this is important. When you're very insecure, you'll do almost anything to feel secure again. You'll pursue anything. You'll chase anything. It doesn't matter if it's godly. Right? You get in a breakup. I've literally heard this. The world says, to at least men. Hey, I've been told, you know, there's these men that want to help men be men. Hey, the easiest way to get over a girl is to go get in the bed of another one. That's literally told, right? I'm gonna pursue something temporarily. I'm gonna go, it doesn't matter who I hurt, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if God says not to do it. I wanna feel better. I want to feel like a woman or a man, right? Faith. Insecurity leads to doubt. I mean, that's easy. It leads to doubt. It leads to. What if God isn't telling the truth? Well, well, if God really loved me, then I wouldn't feel this way, and I wouldn't do this, and he would give me my girlfriend back, or he would have given me this promotion. Why isn't he coming through, right? It's, that's not faith. It's the opposite. You've put your faith, when we're insecure, when we're living out of insecurity, we've put our faith, I said, in something external. You've put your actual faith, your worship, on a created being or thing, or a piece of paper that's green with dead people on it, that's money, just in case you didn't know, Gentleness, I said it earlier, you're inconsiderate, right? When I'm living, when I was living in my insecurity, I think back then, right? Before, because when God started to rebuild, it was cool, I was still insecure, but, but in the midst of it, I didn't care about my family, I didn't care about my friends, I went on vacation with my friend during that time. He took me up to his parents' lake house. I sat, this is so embarrassing. We were tubing, and I promise you this is what I did. I sat in the back of the boat going. It was embar- it's so embarrassing to think of. The family invited me down for dinner. I would just stay up in the room. Think about how embarrassing that is. But at the time, it wasn't. What if she calls me? That's how embarrassing it was, right? I didn't care how it made them feel. self-control. Well, when we live out of our insecurity, we panic. We lash out at anyone or anything that challenges our security. It's your fault. It's not my fault. How dare you? You may not even feel insecure, but you'll know if you're living out of insecurity to how you respond to criticism. Are you even open to the possibility that you're wrong? Or do you automatically shut it down? I'm going to say it again. Do you? And some of you, this is even scarier. You know how you've become secure? It's really crazy. The Holy Spirit in God always agrees with you. Well, God told me I don't have to listen to that. Well, the Bible says you do. God told me I'm right. I'm telling you right now, I'm just going to say it. I ain't going to put names on it, but some of you in this room, that is you. God always agrees with you. Because if he doesn't, man... God does not always agree with you. He certainly doesn't always agree with me. She's going to come play some music, and I want you to think through this. And I hopefully have given you a way to look at some of this stuff a little differently. When you're living out of insecurity, you're not living out of the Spirit. You're not. You're living in finding your security in something or someone else. And it's so, so, so prevalent, guys. It's so prevalent. I can meet someone, and you can too, okay, probably. And within five minutes, know, and we've been talking about the the arrogant insecurity, right? It covers it. You know immediately. that they got to tell you how much they own, how big their house is? They, They slip it in within the first five minutes, how much money they have, how successful they are, how good they are at XYZ. They're not really interested in you. They're just interested in telling you how great they are. You think that's because they really think they're great? Do you really think you're that great when you're telling everyone how great you are? No, you just want someone to see you. Someone to say, yeah, you're you're good. And so you cling to whatever natural talent you have or whatever thing you have that someone else may not, and that's your security. And the danger is someday somehow that's going to be threatened. Even if it's not taken away, it'll be threatened. How do you respond in that? Will you go with how you feel or are you going to go with what God says? That's faith, guys. Faith is not living out of what you feel. I'm sorry. It's great when the feelings line up with the faith, but it is not always the case. That is not always the case. Are you right now? And it's okay. There's no shame in it because I do want to take a second before I ask this question to say some of you have lived in the world of not good enough for a long time. And I know you're, you're not really lashing out at people. And yes, you are. You're killing your own, you know, faith and your self-control and your peace and your joy. Because no matter how much you do, how hard you try, they don't see it, do they? They don't care. It's never enough. Whoever they is. And that's the beauty of God is that he does see it. And he's promised that it matters, that someday you're going to be rewarded for all the things that other people don't see. That he sees it. That he's proud of you. That, that he's going to look at you someday and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Look at this room I've made for you. Even when the whole world tells you it's not true, you know who your daddy is. You can. But you've got to believe it. You've got to cling to it. You got to trust him and walk when he says, do these things, be in my word, talk to me, be among my other sons and daughters. Do these things because when you do, I will always remind you of who you are, what you are. You're depressed, you're mopey, you're sad, you never want to, your faith is dead, you're self-focused. I'm sorry, it's a fact. You're focused on all those things that go wrong in this world and there's tons of them. And God loves you and he sees you and he doesn't want you to be to punish yourself or to tear yourself down. That isn't what he wants. Christianity has somehow begun to glorify self-hatred and we mask it in humility. Well, I, I don't ever, I'm a piece of trash. you think that's godly? No. Jesus didn't die for a piece of trash. He died, right, for a chosen priesthood, right? A chosen people, a royal priesthood. Living stones, saints, sons and daughters, that's what he died for. So I'm going to ask you a question. Whether you're that person that's hurting and it's hard to to feel good about yourself or whether the other person who's like, I'm completely confident, are you? I wonder how often your confidence comes at the expense of someone else. How often your confidence comes by tearing someone else down, by reminding them of what you have and they don't. How often did Jesus walk around and go, Hey, what up? I'm the Son of God. I'm better than you. He said it at times, but most of the time he's like, Don't go tell people who I am yet. Because what he was doing was more important than who he was. You can continue to be miserable if you want. Arrogant person. By the way, you ain't going to say you're arrogant, are you? But you know it. You don't have to be miserable, you can be different. You can be focused on other people and other things, or you can continue to stay focused on what you can accumulate. But you know what's funny? No matter how well you do, it's not enough. That's why you got to remind everyone all the time I'm the CEO. Do you live in insecurity? Are you living in that now? Can you even admit that to yourself? Or are you too insecure to say that? Are you living in insecurity? What's the thing that when you think about, if I just had this, I'd feel good about myself? When God's saying, man, I've given you all this. You're gonna find the clue to what you're basing your security on based on the thing that if you had it, things would be better. Right? Everything would be great. Not better, it's okay to want things, but it'd be perfect. It's not true, you just find another idol to worship. You live in and out of, live in and out of your insecurities you can stop God can heal that he can restore you he can remind you but are you willing to say it you gotta be willing to say it Lord I'm insecure because I put my faith in this or that or what I have or what I don't have it's okay he's not here to shame you for it he's here because he loves you he wants you to tell him so he can remind you you don't have to cling to that I know who you are I don't care what they say This is what I say. Maybe you need to repent of the hurt you've caused out of your insecurity. That means turn away from it and admit it. Can you admit that? Can you admit how you've hurt someone based on how your own insecurity? Well, no, I hate myself. I hear that all the time. No, I hate myself, so it can't be arrogant. No. People that hate themselves are oftentimes the most arrogant. That's why they're propping themselves up, because if if, if they're not, everyone's going to see what they really are. I don't know if you know Jesus. If you don't, here's really simple. God made everything perfect, including you. And here's an easy way to know if you really know him. Is your life like this or is it just sort of like this? You know, everybody's going to have those ups and downs. That's what life is without Jesus. God created everything, and he said, here's one rule. Just follow me. Do what I'm going to tell you what right and wrong is. And we said, no, we don't want that i want it to be based on what i do what i am what i see what i think and because of that sin entered the world well sin is a big bad word it just means it's a disease it's what separates us from god and it shows itself in all those bad symptoms and hate and murder and all of those things you can't religion your way out of it you know it you can't find the peace you're looking for because it doesn't exist all you have is temporary peace right comes and goes That's because you're a branch ripped off the tree. You got to be back. You're just dying. It doesn't matter how many leaves you paint on yourself, you're still a dead branch. You're made to be a part of the tree, connected to the tree, connected to God. And we couldn't make our way to him. And because of that, we now are at the mercy of our own lives. And so we're going to be judged based on our own worthiness, our own lives. And the fact is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that. And that's the standard. Holiness, perfection. And you're going to be judged. The Bible says that there's wrath being stored up for you. Well, I don't feel, yeah, you do. He sees every dark thing you've ever done, ever thought. And just because you got away with it doesn't mean you're going to forever. That's it. You're going to stand before a holy, righteous God and he's going to judge you. And no amount of belief or self-esteem is going to save you in that moment. So, The penalty's death, so God did something incredible. He said, "You can't come back to me. You can't graft yourself to the tree. So I'll do it for you." But in order to do that, someone's got to pay the penalty. He's got to pay your price, and God did that. Jesus Christ came down in the form of man. He taught us what the kingdom's life. He taught us what we could be secure, and he reminded us of who we really are. If we will just reverse the decision we made long ago—the decision that says, "I'm God." He says, "No." recognize me, put your faith in me, trust me, turn away from your ways. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You've got to admit you don't have it all together. And if you do that, you'll get the benefits of something incredible. What's that? Well, Jesus did something awesome. He, he died in your place. But you have to be willing to accept that. I get it. Some of you, those who this is speaking to, some you that's going one ear out the other, that's okay. And some of you, the Holy Spirit, that little voice is saying, hey, he's talking to you. I don't know you. That's God. So today, when Jesus died on the cross, he rose three days later to prove who he was, to defeat death, and the Bible says, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Put your faith in him, not in yourself, not in someone else, not in wealth or money or status, any of those things, to come to him and say, Lord, I know I've messed up, I know I've wronged, forgive me, I believe and accept who you are. And if you do that, the Bible says, in that moment, you're saved. Well, Todd, I'm still addicted. Todd, I'm still in this. It doesn't matter. He will save you right now in the midst of your sin. Don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to. Take this time and respond to God in whatever ways he's calling you to respond. There's going to be people up here willing to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, I was you. I didn't know anyone in the room. But if he's calling you to respond, respond. There's people up here that will pray with you. Don't walk out of here without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that, Lord, forbid a bus hits you today. That you will be meeting Jesus and him saying, hey, welcome home, instead of judging you based on your own life.